Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there is so much information out there, so I'm here to help you navigate it all and live your best life. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am so excited for this one. I am talking to my friend and plastic surgeon, Dr. Miguel Mascaro, and we are talking about all things cosmetic procedures. So Dr. Mascaro is a fellowship trained and board certified facial plastic and reconstructive surgeon, also concurrently board certified in head and neck surgery and a specialist in cosmetic and reconstructive surgery of the face, nose, eyelids, ears, neck, and scalp. In addition, he has extensive experience in non-surgical treatments of the face, neck, and scalp, including injectables and laser therapy. This is a very comprehensive episode. We discuss the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to cosmetic enhancements, how to figure out what procedures to do, current trends, what trends he thinks are going to last and which ones might be kind of fading or dying down. We talk about the current climate and popularity of plastic surgery, when to do what procedures, the truth about non-invasive interventions like Botox and filler, the best procedures for common concerns like a lot of people asked about early jowling and hooded eyes and volume loss. We talk about brow lifts versus eyelid surgery. We talk about lip lifts, of course. We talk about the beauty of fat transfer and so, so much more. And then we also do a rapid fire Q&A at the end where he answers your most pressing plastic surgery questions. So I think you guys are really going to love this one. He and I have done some tweaks over the last couple of years and I just love his eye. He is also truly the incision king. His incisions are insane. If you follow him on Instagram, you know what I'm talking about. And our goals are just very much aligned. So I always say nobody else will touch my face ever again. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode with Dr. Mascaro. All right. Hi, buddy. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> it's the most professional intro ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's much better than our last intro where we went off for 10 minutes before we realized we were not recording whatsoever, which was actually I... probably just as professional as what just happened. I totally forgot about that. And I was going to say, if people want to get like your full background and really learn everything about you, they can go back to that first episode that we recorded. I think it was probably almost exactly a year ago. 
But just to start, why don't you just tell people like where you are, what you do, what you specialize in, all of that. Sure, no problem. So my name is Miguel Mascara, as you guys know from clicking on the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I practice in Delray Beach, Florida. It's a small little town just north of Boca Raton. Everybody knows Boca Raton. Everybody knows of someone that's retired in Boca Raton. So it's a great place to practice plastic surgery. Uh, so I do facial plastics. I specialize in facial plastic surgery. My background is in head and neck training and uh, specific in facial plastics. So anything cosmetic is what I do from the neck up. I'm probably most known for lips, um, facelifts, eyelids, um, really just aging face procedures. Uh, that's kind of what I do. And you've been treating my aging face. And I talked about you in another podcast. A lot of people were like, who is the doctor again that you said is the only person that will ever touch your face again? And I was like, oh, that's Dr. Mascaro. The only person <laughs> ever work with this again. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because, you know, it's all about tweaks, right? It's all little tweaks. And we talk about this all the time. You know, when you, when you text me and you're like, Hey, listen, Miguel, what should we do? Like, what's the next move? And I always tell you slow is better because the, the one thing that I notice with young patients in particular is they're, they're very eager, which is great. You know, you're very eager. You're starting to see some changes. You're starting to take care of yourself. You know, we get the crazy twenties out of our lives. And then we get into our thirties and we start thinking like, okay, I gotta start taking care of myself a little bit. I can't be out all night in the sun, partying all the time. I want to start taking care of myself. So what's the next move? What's the next step? And the biggest mistake people do is they do too much at once. And then all of a sudden you start micromanaging tiny little things. You start chasing tiny little changes in your face. So you start saying like, you know what? I really don't like you know, these little wrinkles that I'm starting to get here, or I don't like this bags that I'm starting to get under my eyes. And you start micro focusing on that tiny little area and you fix it. But then when you take a step back and look at the macro, you've changed your face completely. And so it's very easy to start going down these slopes that aren't necessarily in your best interest. And it's so important to make sure that you have someone that can kind of guide you along the way and take that step back and say, Hey, listen, let's take a look at the mirror. Let's look, make sure that everything looks right. And what's the goal? What's the end point? What are we trying to do? Where are we trying to improve things? Where are we trying to get things better? So absolutely, you know, when, when you talk about, Miguel, what should we do next? My usual thing is, listen, let's, let's slow down. Let's see what it is that we need to do, what it is that we can do to get you there. And then, you know, I'll throw some ideas out there. I'll sprinkle a couple of things in there just to kind of tweak a little bit. But, you know, that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, you kind of talked me off a ledge with um, wanting to get a face and neck lift <laughs> recently. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was like kind of the pandemic got to me, like I, like it did to a lot of people, seeing yourself on Zoom, seeing yourself yeah. in pictures. I bombard you with pictures of my neck from like outtakes of when I'm looking down <laughs> and just seeing so much of that. I was like, it's time. And you said to me, if you were my sister, if you were my cousin, you know, I would tell you not to do this. And so we did a couple other things that made such a huge difference and probably put that off for quite a few years. But a lot of people asked me, how do they figure out what to do to harmonize their face and who do they listen to? And is it the right move to walk into a surgeon's office and say, what do you think I should do? Tell me. And, and how do they figure that out for themselves if they don't have that person that they already trust? That's a really good question. And it's somewhat tricky. And it's something that conflicts me a lot, to be honest with you, because I do get a lot of people that come in and sit down in front of me and say, hey, Miguel, you're the artist, you're the professional. Tell me what you want done to my face. And 
honestly, I feel like it's a little disrespectful, at least for me to start telling someone, oh, well, let me just break out my Sharpie and start drawing on your face what we need to do. I think it's a little rude. I think it's a little disrespectful. I think that especially nowadays with my younger patients who are getting bombarded by social media and, you know, what they think they should be looking like um, to all of a sudden, you know, they finally, you know, get the, you know, they get the balls to really like go to a doctor's office, sit in front of them and then have someone sit there and point all the things that are wrong with them. Like, who am I to say what's wrong with you and what isn't, you know, the reason why it conflicts me is because at the same time, there are a lot of doctors out there who will just say anything to kind of convince you to do whatever it is that will get them the most money, sad to say. And I think that's an experience that a lot of people have had. You know, I mean, we joke about it all the time where the number of patients that come in to see me who are in their 20s and 30s who've had a facelift or a neck lift somewhere else. And then they say, oh, so-and-so did this. I, A, look the same. B, have really bad scars. C, now I have to fix what this person did to me because now it's changed. Is way more than one. And so once you start having that, you start realizing it's not just one doctor, it's not just two doctors, it's three doctors. And it really is at some point is, you know, doctors do get strong armed. So I don't want to just say like, hey, there's a couple of bad apples out there that are, you know, always just in it for the money. We also kind of live and die by the sword of social media as well. So there's a lot of docs out there, especially older docs who are afraid of getting bad reviews, getting bad stuff. They'll do anything just to make sure that the patients remain happy. And that may not be in that patient's best interest. And so I always tell people, you know, you got to find someone that you vibe with, that you have a good relationship with, that's going to be honest with you, that's going to tell you no. If someone tells you no, that's a good thing. Because the one thing when you're, when we're doing a consult is the first thing I ask you is, so tell me what it is that you're thinking about blankety blank blank. And in my notes, you know, I have a little drawing that I'm taking notes on your face, but next to it, I'm writing your goals. And so what your goals are, and that's what we're going to be shooting for. So as soon as you come in here, you know, pop in and I'll say, okay, Ariel, so your goals were X, Y, Z. What did you and write for my like, goals? Okay. <laughs> I want to know. I don't think people want to know. Cute baby face, uh, Haley Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people people don't people don't want to know the, the dms that were onslaught <laughs> people don't remember there's a so there's a time difference and so ariel has like this time where she actually goes on the phone because she's a like crazy busy she's doing things here she's doing things there and so there's there's time that she allots herself to do social media stuff and so usually that's when i'm like starting to go to bed like around 10 30 11 p.m at night eastern time and so all of a sudden i'll just see like 10, 11, 12 DMs. And it's just like pictures, 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 pictures. And she's like, so what do you think? And I'm just like, no, I'm like, stop, 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 stop. Or when you're doing surgery and I'm like, hello, hello. Yeah. And you're like, all right, so we're doing this, right? I know okay. you're busy, and, and, but I need, yeah. I need attention. <laughs> or I know you're busy and uh, no response means that we're doing it, right? You have 30 <laughs> minutes to respond. And I'm just like, dude, I was in the OR for five hours. <laughs> no. Anyway. We digress. (laughs) 
We are inundated with blue light in our daily lives from what seems like every direction. And I don't want to be an alarmist, but it's really not great for us. Even just picking up your phone and looking at it first thing in the morning can tell your body that it's like mid-afternoon and your hormone and your bodies can react accordingly. I bet that everybody listening can tell the difference in everything from your energy to your appetite and more on days that you wake up and get right on your phone and days that you don't do that. So I talk about these all the time, but I pretty much wear my blue blocks, blue light blocking glasses morning to evening. And I feel so much better than when I didn't use anything to protect my eyes. They really help with digital eye strain. They can help with tension headaches, dry and watery eyes, and even anxiety that can occur from looking at a screen all day. Blue blocks are the ultimate blue light blocking glasses created in optics laboratory conditions. They block out the blue light and unlike other companies who have no understanding of how light impacts health, blue blocks are backed by the latest science and research. Blue Blocks has high quality lenses for daytime, nighttime, and for color therapy, exactly in line with the suggested peer-reviewed academic literature. They have over 20 stylish frames to choose from, and they come in prescription, non-prescription, and readers. And additionally, they can turn almost any pair of your glasses into custom blue blockers. They just take your existing glasses and fit them with their lenses. So if you want to get your energy back, sleep better, and block out the unhealthy effects of blue light, go to Blue Block today and get free shipping worldwide and 15% off with the code blonde that's b-l-o-n-d-e or go to blueblocks.com slash blonde that's b-l-u-b-l-o-x.com slash b-l-o-n-d-e for 15% off and free shipping. This show is supported by my friends over at Ned, Ned CBD. As I'm sure everybody knows, CBD has become super popular over the last couple of years. And it just seems like everywhere we look, someone is trying to sell us another CBD product. And it's really tough to navigate, especially if you're struggling or you just want to find the highest quality CBD products. So I talk about this a lot, but I was really wary of CBD as a sober person. I don't want to be turning to anything to change how I feel or put a Band-Aid on anything. And I especially didn't want to take something that would make me feel essentially like I was on drugs. So I had a long conversation with one of the founders of Ned when we were exploring this partnership. And I was so impressed with the ethics, the integrity, and the thoughtfulness that go into their products. And I can vouch that they have the absolute highest quality CBD out there. So CBD is good for helping symptoms of anxiety, stress, insomnia, nausea, pain, and more. And Ned CBD is amazing because it's gently and safely extracted, not using heat or high pressure. The products contain zero isolates or synthetic ingredients, and they are fully transparent, sharing third-party lab reports on their site so you know exactly what you're getting. You also know where it's coming from, which is an independent farm in Colorado. So they have a full spectrum hemp oil, which is great. They have a sleep oil, which I love, a natural cycles line for women's hormone regulation made by women, I might add. They have body butter, which is great for muscle soreness. They have lip balm and they also have some amazing products available for subscription members. And then I also drink Mellow Nightly, which you may have seen on Instagram. It's a magnesium drink. It doesn't have CBD and it helps me really relax at the end of the day. 
and get that magnesium in. So if you want to check out Ned and try their CBD for yourself, go to www.helloned.com slash blonde, B-L-O-N-D-E, or enter the code BLONDE, B-L-O-N-D-E, at checkout for 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. Again, that's helloned.com, H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash B-L-O-N-D-E to get 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. I'm Kareen Eldor. Ever feel like you're playing small? Well, turn up the volume on my podcast, Share a Voice. Every Thursday, I sit down with the wave makers and game changers on everyone's radar. I'll be sharing inspo and takeaways based on my conversations with disruptors, visionaries, and compelling creatives about how they express themselves in their work. Prepare for tons of mic drop moments and subscribe so that you catch every soundbite. I'm fascinated by the power of feeling heard and taking up space. And I'm amped up about sharing these conversations with you. So I'm curious, what are the trends, if any, that you've been seeing, especially in the past year? I mentioned, like, I know for myself, I was able to recognize, okay, I'm seeing myself all the time. It's getting a little crazy. Granted, I did need a few little things tweaked, which we did. And that was super helpful. But I think so many people who aren't used to seeing themselves all the time, who don't take pictures and all of that are kind of faced with, oh my God, is this really what I look like? So have you been seeing kind of the ramifications of that and what trends 1,000%. have you 1,000%. been seeing? Yeah, it's, it's been pretty wild. So, you know, they're, you know, they call it the zoom boom for, uh, for plastic <laughs> surgery and it's a cute name. Anything that rhymes is always cute, but the, the interesting thing about it is you're 100% right is to understand why people are seeing this, you have to think back, right? So what I always joked with my older patients, because this kind of helps bring it together, is my older patients always said, Miguel, your patients are so young. Why do you have so many young patients? All these young girls are crazy. They're coming in, they're getting lip fillers, they're getting lip lifts, they're doing all this surgery. It's so unnecessary, they're so young, they're so pretty. And I always tell them, think back to when you were growing up, when you were in your 20s and 30s. 15 years ago, you never saw a picture of yourself, except if you took a picture, printed it out, put it in a photo album, got together with family, and then randomly went through it and said, oh my God, I looked so good you know, a year ago. I looked so great two years ago. Look how young I looked. Or, oh my God, I look terrible. I can't believe I went out looking like that. Over the last 10 years, that has just sped up so much where we went into like the Facebook phase of like, okay, now we're going out with cameras at night. And so, you know, people our age remember like, it was a big deal when you had someone that had like a little camera that you could take out at night and like, oh my God, look how small that camera is. And we can mm-hmm. upload it and we can share the pictures a little bit more frequently. And then camera phones came out. And so now you had all these young patients that once Instagram and Facebook really started taking out, and particularly Instagram and Snap, when they took over, you're starting to be seeing themselves every single day. They're seeing themselves every single minute. They're taking hundreds of pictures. And they're like, I like this, I like this. I like this, I don't like this. Oh, wait, I can put a filter on and I can see what I could do if I did this or I didn't do this. So now take that that was happening with patients in their 20s, even late teens, early 30s, spread it across the entire population. And so you're seeing patients in their 60s who never thought about doing any sort of plastic surgery start calling up. You're seeing patients in their 70s who've had multiple procedures saying, I thought my facelift was going to last longer. I look bad. I got to do another facelift. Or, you know, I did my brows a while back. 
shit, they're falling down. I got to do it again. And so we're seeing a ton of that. And part of that has to do with the focal length of the selfie picture camera. And that's something that people don't talk about enough. Focal length is super, super important. And, you know, we talk about this all the time and not to put anybody on blast, but there's many doctors that we will both send each other pictures of. And I'll often comment and I'm like, different lighting, different focal length. Look at the before and after. Or little things like after they're smiling, before they're not. Different focal length, different la- different lighting. And so when you're focusing on these things, you realize that tiny little changes in the camera that's pointing at you can make you look stunning or can make you look like the Grim Reaper. <laughs> and so you have to kind of take that into account too. So, you know, Zoom Boom has created a huge increase in rhinoplasty. Why? Because the focal length of that selfie camera is super short. So unless you've got these crazy orangutan arms that you can stick your hand all the way out, your nose is going to be a little bit bigger and a little bit longer. The mid face is going to get elongated. Your face is going to look longer. Um, mm. And so that's why a traditional focal length for a, uh, for a portrait is around 100 millimeters. The selfie is about 28. So it's going to make things a little bit wider. So, you know, a basic understanding in, the, in photophysiology kind of gives you an idea that like, listen, things are a little different. And so you kind of have to explain that to patients sometimes um, just for them to be aware of that. But that combined with all of a sudden, literally everyone and I mean, everyone across the world having to do this for a whole year has left to a crazy, crazy boom in, uh, in plastic surgery. What trends do you think are going to stick around for the next couple of years? And what do you think is going to die off quickly, if any? I think the thing that's, that's going to stick around more than anything is people are going to realize that there's such a thing as overinflated, right? Mm-hmm. And so the overinflated face, I think, is going to be gone in the next five, six, seven years. The downside of fillers is that everyone up and down the street, particularly in South Florida, everyone up and down the street, does fillers. And so when all you got a hammer, everything looks like a nail and, you know, they'll tell you, Hey, listen, I want to lift this up. Oh, just put a little more filler. Um, listen, I want to plump this up. Oh, just do a little more filler. Hey, I want to look younger. Oh, you just need more filler. It doesn't look quite right. Oh, that's because you didn't do enough filler. You got to do more filler to get that result. And so I think that people are starting to realize that when you do that, you start to grow laterally as well as anteriorly. And so all of a sudden you start looking like a big lollipop. Nobody likes to look like a lollipop walking around. So that overinflated face not only looks bad, but it also has some deleterious health effects as well. So it can lead to obstruction in the lymphatic. So when you get sick, you get allergies, you puff up. Um, people follow me on my Instagram stories. I posted about that myself because, um, you know, I, I don't care. I have, so I have one syringe of volume in this cheek. I have one syringe of volume in this cheek. I have one syringe of wrestling plain wrestling split with a little bit of lidocaine split between my two eyes. And so half and half. Yeah. Half and half. And so I usually I'm pretty, I'm bad. Like if you looked back here, actually, I'll show you, I'm not going to show the product, but I have like random product just (laughs) randomly sitting back here. So as you can imagine, it's super tempting, right? I'm on constant. I'm just as I'm just as liable as everybody else. I'm staring at myself on camera all day. So many times I'll just look at myself. I'm like, shit, man, I just need a little bit right here. And I'll add it. And so I do my own. Yeah. And so, yeah, I know it's bad. (laughs) And so, so my daughter just got a cold from going to preschool. Preschool's open back up in South Florida. She goes to preschool. What happens? She's three years old. She gets a cold. Happens to every preschooler. So what happens? She comes home. She gives it to Dada. Dada gets sick. Dada gets a cold. All of a sudden, this eye puffed up like crazy. And so my voice was crazy. I sounded like the Marlboro man, but this cheek 
puffed up like crazy because the lymphatics were obstructed because I normally put a little bit more filler right here. And so that tells me that, hey, Miguel, you're about the borderline as far as getting to that lollipop stage. So the overfilled phase is going to slowly phase out because we're going to see more and more of that. We're going to see people more aware that there's options apart from that. The other trend that I think is going to slowly go away are threads. And we're starting to see that as well. You know, threads for about three, four years, and we talked about this last year, is, was a hot thing. Was, hey, listen, you can just pop in, pop out, and you're good. And in the right person, in the right situation, threads are great. Let's go back to that patient I told you about that is getting that her daughter is getting married in two months or two, three months. You know, that's a great patient for threads. That's a great patient for filler where you just need to look good for a little bit of time. You don't need much downtime. You need to be realistic about it. And here's the thing. Threads are not something that just any Joe Schmo down the street can do. You know, it gets sold that way. So you feel comfortable going to anybody, but it's just like anything else. You need to go to someone that knows what they're doing. Otherwise, they're going to be painful. They're going to look bad and they're, or they're not going to give you any results, which is even worse because they're incredibly expensive. So I think people are starting to see that trend a little bit and they're starting to realize like, listen, what I really need is the right surgical intervention. And so a little bit goes a long way. So we're starting to see younger and younger patients doing surgical interventions but not necessarily super aggressive surgical interventions, doing the right surgical interventions. So we're seeing, particularly with facelifts, for example, the 60-year-old lady that's coming for her first facelift is really a thing of the past. Even the 50-year-old lady that's coming for her first facelift is starting to be a thing of the past. We're starting to see that more in our mid-40s and even early 40s for some of our mini-lift patients. And mini-lift means different things for different people, and we can talk about that another day. But the long story of it is, you need some elasticity issues to be able to pick that up, but you also want that muscle to be strong enough. And as you get younger, there's that happy medium and everyone's a little different, right? You never treat an age, you treat the patient. And so when things are starting to fall down, there's a patient that you can pick that up. And when it's nice and strong, it lasts longer and it looks much more natural. So that patient who's in their mid forties, all of a sudden they look like they're in their mid thirties. And then that their belt of time keeps moving. So they keep aging, but guess what? Now, by the time you get to your mid-50s, you look like you're in your mid-40s. And so then slowly keeps getting picked up and tweaked up. So we're seeing that trend kind of slowly go down the path as well. Um, we're seeing that with eyelids. We're seeing that with um, with brow lifts as well. The complex of the eyes, super important. Lips, a little trendy. I mean, I'm super biased because I do a ton of lip surgery. But the reason why I say this is kind of biased is because historically, I never used to see revision lip lifts. Never. It was super rare. I mean, I would do maybe one a month and I do like 10 lip lifts a week. So it was rare for me to see a revision or like something bad. And over the last two years, I'm seeing many, many, many more revisions. So it's coming down to now I'm doing like maybe two or three a week where I'm seeing just disaster lip lifts that we're having to fix. And so that was really, really bad early on. And now I'm starting to see people not doing that as much. They're slowing things down. They're kind of saying like, okay, there's about four or five different guys across the country that are really, really good at doing this. You know, there's a couple in California, there's a couple in, in New York, a couple in Baltimore, there's me. So let me just hold off. <laughs> let me just talk to the guy that knows what he's doing rather than going and passing through, through a really bad situation. So I don't want to kind of seem like the surgeon with the scalpel that thinks everything needs to be cut out. But there is that trend where we kind of saw it swing in one direction where all of a sudden everybody thought they needed to, to do a little lip lift, swinging back the other way to making sure you're the right patient for it.
and and kind of getting the best result. So oftentimes like things like filler, threads, these kind of less invasive interventions are not the right thing. And it can be beneficial to do surgery at a younger age, you were saying, but is there is there a downside to that? I mean, I remember when we were talking about me doing like a lift yeah. or a mini lift and you said, I'm not there yet. What can happen if say somebody does get a facelift? I know you see a lot of these w- women in their 20s in LA who get facelifts at 26, 28. What are the effects of that? So let's talk about worst case scenario from a medical standpoint. You know, I joked before that we take your face apart and put it back together. Yes, it's a funny thing to say, but it's also true. And so it depends on what kind of technique you do. So I like doing a deep plane facelift. I actually like doing an extended deep plane facelift. So it's a little more invasive. You know, when I was training, the way that we used to joke is once you get into that deep plane, that's where the tigers play. And so when you're playing with tigers and you're riding a tiger, sometimes you get bit. And what that means is that the nerve that controls your face, you're literally right on top of it. So you have to be somewhat careful because sometimes if someone's had, especially with older patients that have had multiple surgeries, you got to be careful because you can pull a little bit too tight or that nerve may be a little bit weak. So guess what? You may look like you had a stroke for a little bit of time. Now that does come back, you know, and it does regain strength, but it's a reasonable risk that you're undergoing. And so, you know, the risk of facial nerve paralysis is there. It's small, but it's there. And so when you're talking about, I just need to do a little bit of this, like I'm thinking about it from, again, if you're my family member, knowing what I know about the risks involved, especially if you want something that's going to last you, that's strong, you want to do a bilaminar high smash facelift or a deep plane facelift, you know, one of like kind of the gold standards of lifts that are really going to kind of help you out. Those are different techniques, but you can talk about a different time, but those are both very, very good techniques. You're playing with some fire, you know, you're playing with the, with the tigers for a little bit. So, you know, that's a reasonable risk that you're running. And so, like I said, Ariel, if you're my sister and God forbid something like that happened, you know, mid thirties and people look at you afterwards and they're like, you didn't even need that. You needed that other thing that we talked about that we may or may not have done. Um, (laughs) You know, that, that, you know, that is, it's almost tragic in a sense. Mm -hmm. Now, the worst to me, the worst outcome is you look the same, (laughs) you know? So you go through this whole thing and first of all, you plop it ton of money down. You set your schedule apart. You know, you do the recovery, you look good for two months. And so you do need some elasticity for that to be able to be pulled up again, unless you're freeing everything. And if you free everything and pull things up and you're a little bit too young, guess what? You don't have that elasticity. Things start looking weird. So then you can start changing the way your face, you can start looking a little bit like the alien emoji. And that's not the cutest emoji to look like. Um, So there's different things that can happen. But to me, that's one of the worst. And when that happens, guess what? You also get bad scars. Younger people make more collagen. More collagen and more tension leads to relaxation, which in tensions leads to a little bit bigger scarring. So I have a ton of patients that have come to see me for lip lifts, for rhinos, for eyelids. And I end up having to fix their scars from their faces and they're 29, 30, 31. And it's crazy to me that, you know, people get talked into it. They get these crazy bad scars. And I had a patient who was 27 from LA that I had to fix her neck lift because she had a neck lift two years before when she was 25. And now she had these crazy scars. And I'm just like, who told you this was a good idea? She's like, I look the same. I have these bad scars. And Basically, we had to redo part of the neck lift to fix the scars. And I'm just like, this is insane. Like, this is just bad, you know, because in my mind, um, you're getting, you're not even getting a good result from a neck lift. You're basically just getting me to fix your scars so that you can pull your hair back in a ponytail. 
I know the struggle of trying to find skincare products that actually work. And trust me, I feel like I've tried it all, especially with my job. And it can be so hard when more often than not, that product that works amazingly for someone else makes you break out or just doesn't do anything. And that's why I love Curology. So whether you're dealing with acne, hyperpigmentation, texture issues, fine lines or wrinkles, dryness, redness, oiliness, you name it, Curology will customize a prescription formula with three active ingredients to target your specific skincare needs. The whole process could not be easier. You just go to Curology's website and answer some questions about your skin. You upload a few selfies and then Curology matches you with a licensed dermatology provider who gets to know your skin and makes recommendations for you. The whole thing took me like 15 minutes and now I have a custom product with 0.07% tretinoin, niacinamide, and azelaic acid. So this is a great trifecta because tretinoin is one of the most effective ingredients at targeting fine lines. Niacinamide is an antioxidant that reduces wrinkles. It brightens the skin and helps with elasticity, which listening to this episode, you know we need. And azelaic acid improves texture and lightens dark spots. So I've been using it pretty much all year and my skin has been really glowy consistently and it just tolerates it better than other prescription tretinoins that I had tried. Take control of acne, dark spots, breakouts, or whatever your unique concerns may be with a powerful skincare treatment made for you today. Just go to curology.com slash blonde for a free 30-day trial. You just pay for shipping and handling. Again, that's curology.com slash blonde, C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y.com slash B-L-O-N-D-E to unlock your free 30-day trial today. Go to curology.com for all the details. You guys know I'm all about nourishing my body with the most nutritious, wholesome ingredients I can find. And honestly, with so much going on lately, it can be a struggle to find the time to whip things up from scratch. I know you can all relate to me on this one. So if you're in the same boat or if you're just wanting to start eating a little cleaner, Saqqara makes it so, so easy. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what we eat. They have organic, ready-to-eat meals made with powerful plant-based ingredients, and the menu is crafted by chefs weekly, so you'll never get bored. They have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all made with ingredients designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. This week's menu had this amazing coconut praline granola. You know how much I love my granola. They had a raspberry tea cake, five herb pesto pasta, silky Thai soup, some amazing salads, and so much more. And even if you're not plant-based like myself, these still make really delicious meals, or you can just add add on a little bit and you don't have to do all the heavy lifting in the kitchen. So it's so, so convenient and helpful. Sakara is great as well because you can design your own program, whether you want it five days a week or just two, if you know you're going to be busy for a couple days and you can try it one time or subscribe. Along with delicious plant-rich meals, Saqqara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition. Experience the transformative power of plants with their best-selling metabolism super powder. Made with organic raw cacao, it works to boost energy, eliminate bloating, minimize sugar cravings, and reduce fatigue. And also, guys, their bars are really, really good. And right now, Saqqara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order if 
you go to sakara.com slash blonde files, that's B-L-O-N-D-E-F-I-L-E-S and enter code blonde files 20 at checkout. So again, that's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash blonde files, B-L-O-N-D-E-F-I-L-E-S to get 20% off your first order with the code blonde files 20. So I do want to get to listener questions, but really quick, since we're kind of talking about it, what are the best procedures in the 20s, maybe non-invasive and more invasive? Depends on what it is that's missing. So you kind of have to look at someone's face. You have to look at where they were before and how they've been aging. And that involves also kind of exploring a little bit into how the parents look, how the parents age, because that'll get you a better idea. Because when people are 20, everyone looks pretty good. But at, at the mid-20s is when you start to lose that volume in your face and you start thinking and start tinkering with, with fillers and start thinking about those things. So from a minimally invasive standpoint, we have to look at skin quality because most of us in our teens and early 20s are really, really, really bad about sun protection. So, so skin quality and skin treatments, very, very important, very good. So things like you know, from the more invasive CO2 erbium YAG lasers to, uh, you know, clear and brilliance, IPLs, even some deeper peels like Jesner's, TCAs, like medium depth TCAs, stuff like that. They do a huge, huge, huge difference because the key is you're basically just getting your skin right so that you're fixing that sun damage and then getting it to get to a point where you can continue to not improve it and turn into a porcelain doll because nobody likes that either, but just get it so that it's softened so that it doesn't look as wrinkly, so it doesn't look as dry, so that it looks as hydrated as possible. So some of those treatments in the 20s do wonders. Um, Botox topic that people, some people love to do pre, uh, like I'll do a preemptive strike with Botox. Other people think it's stupid. I'm kind of torn. I think that if someone needs it, they need it. You know, I, you know, if someone comes to me and they're in their twenties and they've got crazy deep lines then do it. Um, if some, I have patients in their thirties, I have a patient of mine just up today. She's a good friend of mine. She's 39. She's turning 40. She's in great shape, looks great. And the only place we ever do Botox is around the eyes and between the forehead, just because when she's working out, she's always squinting. And so those are the areas where she gets a lot of, a lot of wrinkling forehead. She has nothing. So why are we going to put Botox in the forehead? She doesn't need it, you know? So there's those. And then, you know, there's the younger patients who, on the other hand, have crazy deep lines here. And so you just do a little bit just to kind of start softening them. You don't want to paralyze them. You want to have expressions. Um, you know, I used to have crazy deep lines before. And so, you know, just a little bit of Botox just helps out, just softens things up, you know, so you can still move and you can still see a little bit of lines because I need a little bit of Botox. But, you know, it kind of gets you an idea that, you know, you can do little things that help out more involved treatments. Yeah. They're the surgical ones that, you know, for the right person, you know, you can do, but microneedling with radio frequency. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome treatment. I think that's probably the best advancement as far as minimally invasive treatments that work, that give you a good response. Mm-hmm. And so the microneedling we've known around for ages, microneedling, the long of it is tiny little needles get driven into the skin that causes micro trauma in the skin, brings blood supply to the area, causes a response in the skin that causes it to heal itself. Dermis thickens, brings more supply to it, improves the quality. It can actually help men grow beards as well if you're doing microneedling. So it has a lot of really, really, really good benefits. The downside, it can only do so much, right? You can only go so deep. You can only go so frequently. You can only do so much. Okay, let's add PRP. Let's add ASA. Let's add a bunch of other stuff. Okay. 
that adds you a tiny little bit more. But the radio frequency, what does that do? So radio frequency elicits a collagen response and stimulates an elastin response as well. So not only can it melt fat if you go deep enough, and some people are a little chubby and it helps get rid of some of that fat down here in particular, but it stimulates that tightness a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. It stimulates that tightness a little bit more and stimulates the collagen deposition, stimulates the skin to tighten. So we can see significant tightening once we get over about 55 degrees Celsius on the skin level. Now, the downside, because you'll be thinking like, hey, Miguel, I've heard of Thermage. I've heard of all these other radiofrequency treatments. I did it. Didn't work. And you have to remember there's a difference between transcutaneous radiofrequency, meaning something that just goes on your skin and the radiofrequency goes through the skin layer versus something that goes in the skin. That's where the microneedling with radiofrequency has a huge advantage. There's a couple great, great, great treatments out there. Profound RF is a good one-time treatment. I have Pixelate, which is very similar to Morphysate. Those are great multimodal treatments that help more with cellulite and skin texture. So if you have acne scarring, for example, it's a great way of tightening the skin, improving the texture. Same thing with scars that are a little bit flattened. It just tightens up that texture really, really nice. So it feels the same, which is really, really, really nice. So the microneedling with radio frequency is something that's now in our armamentarium of treatments, works really, really nicely. Um, and that's probably something that people in the early 20s are starting to do. 30s, you can go a little more involved. Then you can do something, you know, with radio frequency as well that really melts the skin, melts the fat rather, tightens the skin under the neck. Um, you can do a little bit up here as well. And so then at that point, what you're doing is you're thinking like almost like you're shrink wrapping that skin. The younger you are, the better you'll do. All this is based on your immune response. So the younger you are, the stronger it is. The older you are, you'll still get some response, but it's not quite the same as when you're young. When you're young, it really tightens things up. And it's a great in-between procedure. It buys you time until you're in your early, mid-40s and you need a little bit more of a pickup. So, you know, that's something that we're starting to see a trend for, especially patients that are so concerned with their jawlines with all their selfies that they're taking looking like this. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, That was like the main question difference. that I got, by the way. Everybody wants to know about like early jowling and seems to be yeah. <laughs> a big problem. It's nuts. It's nuts. And <laughs> I get so many, I get so many young patients that come in and they're like, oh, I got these jowls. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like stop like go home like yeah. you don't need it uh wait you know, they i have talk to tell you something killer. so funny because right before this i was looking through all the questions that people sent in and typing them in and chuck came up behind me and he's like what are you doing and i told him i was preparing for this and he started looking at the questions and he was like oh my god i mean it's like i have a bigger jowl in this side than the other side and asymmetry. And what do I do about asymmetrical lip corners? And what do I do about one eye that's a little droopier than, eh? and to him, cause it's not his world. He was just like, you guys are so <laughs> hard on yourselves. Like, he's like, I can't even look at it. And he walked away. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I mean, there's so many patients that sit in front of me and they start picking themselves apart. And I always tell them, I'm like, listen, the devil that sits between your ears is your yeah. worst enemy. It will always be your worst enemy and you will always be harshest on yourselves. And you kind of touched on it, the asymmetries in the face. And we have to remember that embryologically, the way that the face forms is not from the middle out, right? So, I mean, it's, it's a bad example, but everybody has seen, you know, someone with a cleft lip or a cleft palate. And the way that the face forms is it actually is a flat plate and then it comes together in the midline. So it's not perfect twins, but rather it's like really closely, like really closely related siblings. So when it comes together, it's going to be off a little bit on the side. And the reason why clefts form is because they don't fuse in the midline. So one cheekbone is going to be naturally higher than the other. One eyelid socket is going to be a little bit higher. One bone is going to be a little bit higher than the other. And, you know, that's like a, a 
cheap, easy way to kind of do a party trick and tell people like, oh, that's your good face. When you see the corner of the mouth that's a little bit higher, the cheekbone that's a little bit higher, that's their good side. Yeah. So embryologically, I was smushed on my left side for a long period of time. It would appear. (laughs) Yeah. You can blame your mom. Just be like, listen, mom, you should have flipped me over the other side. Thanks, mom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so the the thing that people notice, why people notice that as we get older is because we lose volume. And so as we lose volume, you start noticing those asymmetries. When you're young and you're fluffy and puffy and really nice and chubby, you don't notice these things. It's not like these things appeared out of nowhere. These things have always been there. But as we start to lose volume, we start noticing it. And we try to correct it with fillers. But what we notice is that one syringe of filler can make you look horrible or it can make you look like you did nothing. But at the same time, 30 syringes of filler can make you look incredible or it can make you look like a complete monster. So, you know, putting things in the right place and the right type of filler, whether that's fat, whether that's, you know, the, tr- the right HA or the right hydroxyapatite, whatever it is, um, the right tool for the right job is what's going to help more than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm all about that fat. <laughs> Fat's nice. <laughs> Fat's liquid, nice. Liquid gold. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let me get to questions. So first, I just have to ask because so many people ask, is there a special VIP line for Blonde Files listeners? <laughs> You're going to have to talk to Lauren. <laughs> Why did I feel I like this was going to happen? <laughs> so basically, yeah. So I don't know. I'm going to talk to Lauren. And see what no, we can do. No. We'll figure something I've out. I've already no, right. made Lauren's life difficult yeah. enough for the year. Yeah, Lauren, um, anytime I'm like, hey, Ariel has a question. You can just <laughs> hear the eyes rolling to the back of her head and be like, Jesus, what are we doing now? I'm sending her cookies. So hopefully I'm, I'll get on her good side. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat all of them. So she's not going to get it. <laughs> okay, well, I sent you a few boxes. So some of those are for Lauren and for the other people in your office. Nice. Just FYI. Um, okay. What's your opinion on buckle fat removal? I think we talked about this in for the, the right episode, person. But... It's a, for the, yeah, for the right person, it's a great procedure. And so you have to evaluate what someone's face looks like. Understand that as you age, you will lose volume. And so the last thing you want to do is take fat away when more, more frequent than not, we end up having to add fat back into the face, particularly in younger patients. You know, so you want to be aware of that. And so what does that mean? Who is the right person? Well, long, skinny frame, athletic build, usually not the best candidate because it'll hollow you out. And, you know, I joke with patients that, you know, I'm like a fancy makeup artist. All we do is I play with lights and shadows. So you have to think, do I want to create a shadow in this area? And so, yes, in some cases you do. You want to create that contour. It's nice. It looks good. In other cases, we don't. And so when you have a long, skinny frame, and then you have, it's going to create a highlight here by creating a shadow down here. It's going to create a highlight up here. So for the people that are listening in the podcast and that aren't, that aren't watching this, what I mean is there's going to be a highlight in the cheekbone area. There's going to be a hollowness underneath the cheekbone area. And what that's going to get accentuated is if you're already in that area, you're going to start looking a little bit like Maleficent. And so not everybody likes that look. So it's not for everyone. When you're a little bit shorter, a little bit wider face, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more ovalish look, it's amazing because it'll create a little bit of that contour and it won't change your overall appearance too much. It'll just give you a little bit of that shape that we all like. And so it'll turn kind of like a little pumpkin look into more of a heart. And so we always want that heart shape. So it looks really, really, really pretty to kind of turn that teardrop upside down. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I'm super biased. And this is where I'm going to throw my, my, my bias. I always tell people what my bias is before I give them the information. My bias is I would rather look good now than look good in 10, 15 years. That's just me. And so I'll always tell them, listen, buckle fat is not for everyone, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't do it. Because if it's going to mean that you're going to look good now, then do it. But understand that 10, 15 years later, we may be adding some volume back in. Are you ready and are you prepared? So if you are one of those patients that do not fall into the green light, little little rounder, shorter, stockier, going to look amazing with buckle fat, if you do not fall on those and you also do not fall into the red light of long skinny frame, it's going to look terrible. Absolutely do not do it. And you're somewhere in the middle because the truth is most people are somewhere in the middle. I'll give you the option and I'll tell you honestly, listen, if it was me, the juice is worth the squeeze. Or conversely, I'll tell you honestly, this juice in particular, not worth the squeeze. You're going to do the buckle fat. It's going to look okay. It's not going to give you that dramatic contour result that you want. And then you're going to end up wanting to do volume again in another five, six, seven years. So you have to be somewhat realistic. Everyone's a little different. You have to evaluate everyone individually. But the run around the bush answer that I just gave you is it's good for some and it's not for others. And the volume that re- that you're referring to, would that be like fat transfer? Yeah. So there's only two things that you can do to replenish that volume. You have to understand how filler works. Filler is a soft tissue product, depending on how it is. Some is thick like molasses, others more like uh, like syrup, like pancake syrup. And then there's some that's like really, really, really thin. So different products are better for different areas. All these products need to be onto something in order to be built on. What does that mean? Cheek filler builds on the bone, right? So it uses the bone as a backbone to push the plump out. Lip filler, lip has to be somewhat thin. Otherwise, what happens? It gets the drug down, makes you look like you've got duck lips. Why? Because you're not really building on anything. So you have to be somewhat careful with what you do. Buckle space. Guess where the buckle space is? The buckle space is in the cheek. So there's nothing to build on that. That place is a black hole. I could put 10 syringes of Voluma, which is one of our thickest fillers, or I could put one syringe of Voluma. Guess what? You're going to get the same result. It's going to be somewhat similar because of what that space means. So you have to use particular types of products. So what's a better product in that area? Sculptra, if you're going to go the non-surgical route, Sculptra is a great product. Sculptra is polyalactic acid. It's a collagen inducer. So what it does, is it goes in that skin area and then it stimulates your own skin to create, or it stimulates your own tissue to create collagen. So it goes, uh, it activates the fibroblasts all the way from the bottom to the top. So when some people talk about that Sculptra glow or that red carpet glow, um, that's Sculptra. So not only do you get a little bit of volume, but you also get some improvements in the quality of the skin. So it's really, really, really cool. Downside, because right now it sounds like an amazing product. You need a bunch of it. So it gets expensive. Two, results are somewhat subtle. Three, you need multiple sessions. So you can see where the expense starts to add up. So for some people, you know, they don't want to do the surgical. Um, they have the money to spend. Sculpture is a great option. Um, it also is somewhat subtle. So when people don't want that like dramatic, oh my God, what did that person just do? But just kind of like a slow and gradual improvement. It's great, but it's unclear where the end point is. So you may find yourself constantly doing it for, for a couple months before you're finally happy. So that's the big downside of Sculptra. Like for example, Sculptra bought augmentation. It's going to be a fortune. Like you could buy a G-Wagon. Like how much? And 
realistically, you're looking at $80,000 to $100,000 to make a reasonable difference in your this way that you're, but so that it looks nice, right? So if you're comparing it to like a BBL, like if you came down to Miami and you were to do a BBL, get a nice sculpture, get a nice sculpture on the side, get a little bit of the hip dips filled in, get a little bit of the, the blending down the sides, you're going to use a ton of sculpture. I mean, you're looking at, you know, at least $80,000 worth of product. I mean, it's going to be insane. And at a discount, it'll be like $55,000, $60,000, whatever. Go out, buy a BMW. You'll be much happier. So, or just the, use your um, fat. Or just use your fat, which leads to the next point. So, you know, I mentioned BBL, Brazilian butt lift. That's something in Miami you see a lot of. You see them all over the place. They're getting um, big here too. They're starting to get big. Yeah, because yeah. in LA for a while, they were doing a lot of implants. It's like, looks bad. And um, the fat is amazing. So fat done right does really, really, really well. Fat is your own fat. It's living, it's not breathing, but it's, you know, it's thriving. And once it gets its own blood supply, it's amazing. It's almost, it's technically forever because it ages with you. And the nice thing about it is that it has memory. So the fat, once you put it in there, it gives you this nice plumpy glow. And then you ride the wave. You'll see it, it shrinks down a little bit. And then once it gets blood supply after about two, three weeks, it starts to plump back up and then you're good. And then after about two, three months, it plumps back up again. And then you're really good for about a year. So it's almost like you're transplanting hair. So it's very similar to hair grafts and hair transplants. A year? Yeah. A year? Wait, I thought it was permanent. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying it's going to be permanent. It's going to be permanent. What's, but I'm what's saying the that year? The, oh, the fluctuation? Fluctuations. Yeah, yeah. Fluctuations <laughs> for a year. Yeah, fluctuations for a year. So yeah, you're going to ride a wave for about a year. And then at that point, it's alive, right? So after a couple of weeks, once you get that blood supply, it's alive, it's good. But until it kind of settles in, it's going to go up and down, up and down, up and down. But after a couple of weeks, you're good. And then it's permanent. Now, what does permanent mean? So permanent means that it ages with you, right? So a lot of times people think of permanent, almost like we think of silicone breast implants, or we think of any sort of implant that's just kind of there. And then you die in the cadaver and there's just like this like thing sticking out that fat ages with you because it's alive. So as you get older, it gets smaller, it atrophies. It's very, very common that we'll do a facelift on someone who's in their 50s or 60s. They had a fat graft 15, 20, 30 years ago. They'll say, doc, it was amazing for about 10 years. I loved it. And then after it didn't last, it went away. You do the facelift and you see different colors of fat underneath the planes <laughs> because you'll see that the fat comes from different areas, has different colors. So what's really, really, really nice about it is that you put that everywhere. So not only can you put that in that buckle space, you put that along the cheeks, you blend it in. That's the one thing that's a little more artistic than anything else. And it's really, really hard to explain. It takes the longest to do. Um, you know, if you compare doing filler, doing filler to me takes like 10, 15 minutes tops. If I'm doing like a lot of filler and I'm just balancing stuff out, backcrafting will take me an hour. You know, and so I'm doing micro droplets a little bit at a time, looking at you from the top, from the side, moving your head from side to side, sitting it up, doing all these things over and over and over again. And, you know, for most patients, for example, if you were used to doing like one syringe of cheek filler here and there, I'll put 11 to 12 syringes along the entire mid face, which will plump you up. And even from that, it goes down a little bit and then it plumps back up. So you're putting a lot of product over a large area and the key is in blending it in so that it looks super nice. And, um, I hate being jazzy, but you kind of have to go by feel a little bit in this and super important that, you know, you're turning the lights, moving it from side to side, taking a look from above, moving it a little bit. And so, 
that's the thing that probably takes the, long in, in, the longest surgically that doesn't seem like it would take the longest. So you think like, oh, fat grafting the face, two seconds, like just harvest the fat, do that. And how we harvest the fat, what we put in it, how we, how we concentrate it, make sure that we don't damage the fat. You have to respect the fat. The one thing that I was always taught was you have to be nice to the fat. If you're not nice to the fat, the fat's not going to be nice to the patient. So, you know, how you take it out, how you put it in, um, you have to be super, super gentle. Um, it makes a huge difference. Is it always under sedation? Yes, you could brave it if you wanted to, but if it was me, I wouldn't want it done because it's, it's a long procedure. And so if you imagine getting fillers for like an hour and a half and add Sounds lipo, amazing, like actually, super, yeah, <laughs> and super kidding. painful lipo, like super painful lipo. No, uh-huh. it's, not, it's not fun. People were asking about fat transfer to the lips. Is that, I mean, same process, same harvesting, um, everything? Yes and no. So there's a couple of people that really like to do fat grafting to the lips. I'm not a huge fat grafting to the lips person. I do a specific type of fat graft to the lips. And the reason why is when you look at lips, there's three major things that I try and talk about. Shape, volume, proportion, right? And so you kind of have to find the harmony between all of them. And there's the right instrument, right tool for all of them. So for me, shape is like the most important thing. Pretty shape is like killer. You can have very little volume. The proportion may be okay, but if the shape's right, you're good. The problem with fat is that it needs blood supply to survive, right? And so the only place with really good blood supply in the lip area is unfortunately the orbicularis muscle. So that muscle that when you pucker, you see that there that muscle is really what has the best blood supply. in There's a nice thin layer lining the lip, the mucosa, which is the, the puffy pillowy part. In between them, there's minor salivary glands. So there's a little space in between them. And then behind that is where the muscle sits. So when you're injecting fat, traditionally when you're doing micro droplet technique, um, and that's the best technique for the face, when you're doing micro droplet technique, it gets very difficult to do the lips because you're going to lose the shape because the molecule is very big. So if you're putting a lot of that fat in order to get it to survive, you're going to blow out the lip. And so once you blow that shape out and it's in the muscle, it's going to look bad. It's going to look really, 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 really bad. So people have tried to work with nanofat. And so what's nanofat? Well, you know, I just told you about microfat, where we're taking out the individual adipose and we're concentrating to individual adipose cells. The microfat is where we're trying to separate that adipose into more by running it through different sieves. So those individual sieves get thinner and smaller and thicker. And thinner and thinner and thinner and smaller and smaller and smaller. And eventually what you're doing is you're passing the fat in between it and you're making and breaking it up into smaller pieces. So far, all the studies that have been done have shown that the survivability of that nano fat, somewhat questionable. It's great for the skin. There's a lot of good healing factors that are released when you do that. So some people were doing it for tear trough augmentation. Some people were doing it for lip augmentation and the results are somewhat mixed. They're not really predictable. And in my mind, when you're doing something cosmetic, you want it as predictable as possible, you know? And so the fat grafting there, I'm not crazy about. So I told you, well, I still do some sort of fat grafting. What kind of fat grafting I do? So I do a fascia graft. And so what a fascia graft is, is we take a little piece of fascia from the hip and fascia is just the lining that the, that the fat is attached to. So we take that fascia and we slide it in the lip, almost like a little, like a little implant. So it's really, really cool. The nice thing about that is that you won't blow the shape out because you can only fit so much, so much of an implant in there before it's before it, it physically won't fit in there. Think of it almost like if you've got a shoe that's like a size six and your foot is a size 12, it's never fitting in there. But if it's a size seven, it'll still fit in there and the shoe will still look about the same. Once you start getting to a size eight or nine size foot, it starts to blow that that shoe out. It doesn't look the same. So 
you know, you're somewhat limited by the size of the shoe. In this case, you're limited by the size of the, of the lip, how big of an implant you can get. So it's a nice measure of like, listen, man, this is as big as your lip will allow me to go, which is nice. The other advantage of that is that because we have that strip of fascia, think of it almost like Christmas lights. So only one small area of the fascia needs to get a blood supply. And then the whole fat graph lights up like, uh, lights up like Christmas lights. And so you only need that blood supply to survive in one spot. Whereas when you're doing the micro droplet, you need all that stuff to survive. And God forbid you get more survival over here than here or here than here. And then it looks really, really funky and weird. Plus you lose the shape. So I like doing the fascia graphs a lot. And, you know, if we're doing a facelift, the advantage of that is that, guess what? I just take this mass, the fascia that's down here, that's a little extra, that's behind where we enter the deep plane. We take that in there and slide it in there. And you don't even have an extra incision. I feel like I need a fascia graft. Yeah, like this fascia graph sounds interesting. <laughs> Let's discuss. Let's see. Okay. So a lot of people asked about endoscopic brow lift and upper blepharoplasty. How to know which one to do or when to do one or the other or both? Cool. So I, I think it depends on the age group, um, more importantly. So let me start from youngest to oldest. So with the young patients, brow lifts, very popular. That cat, eye, that cat eye look, really, really popular, really in. I usually tell people stay away from trends, especially when you're talking about permanent changes to your face. Not to interrupt, but what do you think about that trend? Do you think it's a trend that will go away or do you think that it's a look that's kind of here to stay? It's a trend. I mean, the, so let me put it this way. That look is a trend. That procedure is not a trend. That procedure has been around mm -hmm. for ages, but it's been modified very, very slightly. And I can tell you once this is not recording, what that change is because it's really, really, it's like a tiny little thing that people do. And because they're changing, they do it in that tiny little thing, they're trademarking it and they're charging like a bajillion dollars for these procedures. And they're really monetizing on like young people that want to look a certain way when in reality, like it's a procedure that's been around for a long, long time. And they're just literally doing a tiny little change. That's the space of a centimeter, uh, like an extra five, 10 minutes worth of surgery to give a certain look. So realistically, when we're talking about brow versus eyelid, those are two different types of skin. So when you're trying to figure out, you have to evaluate what the position of the brow is, okay? So whether you need a brow or not is where is my brow and where should it be? Traditionally, if we were going by the textbook, for most people, the arch of the brow should, or for most women, the arch of the brow should be about a centimeter above the brow bone. Miguel, we live in America. Centimeter, what is this nonsense? So a centimeter is about a pinky. So it's about the width of a pinky. So if you feel the edge of the brow bone and then you feel where that brow is, you kind of want it to sit like about a pinky, you know, kind of where you are, you know, like that's about right. Mm -hmm. And so any higher than that, you start looking a little bit deer in headlights. And so you have to be somewhat careful without talking about like the rest of the brow because that's important. But, you know, we like to use the arch and going down towards the tail as, as kind of our, our measures of what we do. And so traditionally, when people grab the heaviness and the hooding on the side, oftentimes they think it's the eyelid that's actually the brow. And so you need to kind of establish where that brow is in order to realize where it needs to sit, because you can't evaluate what is eyelid skin until you put that brow in its rightful position. Once that brow is in the right place, then you can do a little bit of eyelid skin. That is not to be confused with a temporal brow lift or a lateral brow lift or an endoscopic brow lift or, and more involved, 
mid-facelift or a more involved endoscopic facelift. So all these things are kind of like, it's, it's a gradient, right? It's, it starts with one end and it finishes in the other. And so the, the biggest confusion that young patients have is, oh, I just want a little temporal brow lift and that's going to pick up my nasal labial folds and it's going to get rid of my jowls and it's going to tighten everything up. No, temporal brow lift is just going to pick up the hooding a tiny little bit. And it's just going to open up that corner of the eye. It's a beautiful cherry on top. Like it's the ultimate subtle, like just tiny little stroke that most people aren't going to notice, but it's going to be, like I said, the cherry on top. It's going to look amazing. It's icing on cake. It's just what decorates everything at the end. Um, the lateral brow lift gives you a little bit more of an arch. The endoscopic brow lift picks everything up. Most people need an endoscopic brow lift, and then you can modify it if you want a little bit more tail pickup, et cetera. The one thing about brow lifts that people need to understand, brows fall down. So if you pick up about 10 millimeters or 11 millimeters, it's going to fall about five. So it kind of drops in half. So yes, at first you're going to look like a deer in headlights, but then it settles down a little bit. And usually somewhere in between those two is what you like. But in reality, where you end up settling at is the most natural look for most people. So as we get older, the brow lift becomes a little more important. However, it does change your appearance a little bit more. So that's where looking at where you were when you were younger comes very, very, very important. Um, in particular, where you are. So for example, I have a lot of patients that have heavy brows. And so I look at them in the media, I'm thinking, man, she needs a brow lift so bad. And they're talking to me about their eyelids. And I'm like, what is she talking about? She needs her brows. And I, before we say anything, I'm like, okay, well, you know, do you have any pictures of yourself when you were, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? And like most good patients from Boca Raton and Miami and Palm Beach, they break out like actual pictures that they bring and like framed pictures. And you see the pictures from them. They're like 20. And you're like, I can't believe you're showing me a picture when you're 20, you're like 65. But their, their brows have always been flat. And so then you start thinking like, oh, that would have been a horrible choice for her. However, I need to tell her that we need to at least pick them up a little bit. So it may be a little bit more subtle. It may not be quite as aggressive in some areas as with a younger patient. And so in some older patients, we end up doing a combination of a more subtle brow lift to put the position of the brow a little bit higher, not quite where we would, but we also need to do the upper eyelid excision just to create that contour and get it back to where it was. So it's, uh, it's not quite very defined who needs what is very individual, but, um, there is a gradient that you need to follow and you kind of have to see what, what the endpoint and what the goal is. Another question that I got a lot was, is there anything non-surgical to do to help with maybe excess eyelid skin and some of that hooding? I think a lot of people are under the impression that Botox will, you'll get a little Botox and suddenly you'll have that yeah. lift and the smooth eyelids and everything. So can you talk about what Botox can and can't do? And if there is anything non-surgical that you can do to clean up that area? So remember how Botox works, right? Botox is a neuromodulator, which means that it, impede, it impedes the movement and contraction of the muscles. So if you've got a wrinkle that's caused by movement, Botox is great. However, and this is like the gypsy curse, you know, may all your wishes and dreams come true. So something's going to come back and, and, and bite you in the butt a little bit. So if you can't move, it won't make that wrinkle, but you can't move. So, you know, if you are trying to get rid of these crow's feet, that's great because it's going to pick up the brow because it's a brow depressor. So when you get rid of the crow's feet, that's going to pick up the brow. However, then what you need to realize is that you can only go so far down because guess what? When you smile, the zygomaticus muscle that picks up your cheek is right at that border. So if you want to get rid of all those wrinkles that go all the way down, you may be knocking out that smiling muscle and you won't be able to smile. So 
there's a fine line as to what Botox can do and can't do. It's great for the orbicularis contraction underneath the eye. So for lower eyelid skin, that's crinkly, great. But the dosing is low because you don't want to collapse that muscle too much and it's not going to last you very long. So you have to be somewhat careful with what you can do with it. On the upper eyelid, it's tricky because you don't want to paralyze that upper eyelid. <laughs> that looks really, really bad. So non-invasive, and this is where we kind of border on what exactly is non-invasive. I like to infractionated CO2. You know, so CO2 laser works very, very well on the upper eyelid skin. It's thin enough where you see a significant response from tightening it. It's non-invasive enough in that, you know, you give me three days of downtime, you're good. You're down here, you're wearing sunglasses all the time anyway. Like you can just wear sunglasses. Give me, give me five days of sunglass wearing or, you know, just not going out and it'll tighten it up significantly. But at the end of the day, it's only going to improve it so much. You know, I think that's the thing that most people need to need to realize with a lot of these minimally invasive treatments is you need to be at the right stage to set yourself up for success. And so if you're too far gone, you're going to be overpromised and you're going to be underdelivered with uh, with some of the minimally invasive stuff. So if you've got a little bit of creping, if you've got a little bit of uh, of um, of wrinkling skin, the upper eyelid, even if you do an upper eyelid surgery and you've got a tiny little bit of excess, you zap that with the laser, tightens it up. It's almost like ironing a shirt. But if you've got a lot, then you have to kind of reevaluate what the goal is. Let's do a couple rapid fire. So best procedure for a weak jawline? Radio frequency. Oh, I like this. Okay. Best procedure for chubby cheeks? Mm, buckle fat. Okay. How can I get rid of under eye bags? If you're young and you're the right patient, a little bit of filler goes a long way, like me. If you're on the older side, back grafting and lower eyelid surgery. Can lasers damage fat cells in the face? When done inappropriately, yes. Is a lip lift permanent? Your boobs are going to fall. Your butt <laughs> is going to fall. Everything falls as you get older. So yes, it's Stop permanent. Reminding but, me. <laughs> so yeah, it's so yeah, it's permanent. But <laughs> it, it's like anything else. You know, you do a facelift, and guess what? It's going to fall after 10, 15 years. But it helps you in that short period of time. Mm -hmm. What surgeon do you admire most? Ooh, actually, there's uh, there's this uh, the uh, chairman of uh, of neurosurgery at a uh, skull based neurosurgery at Lenox Hill. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's what I would call he's like the guy. He's like if I wanted to be like someone, that's the guy. What's his name? Gadi Harrell. Interesting. Oh, didn't you write a book that you told me about? Mm -hmm. I think we talked about that on the last episode. Okay. Best tips for post-surgical scar healing? Take it easy. Don't do anything. All right. That the biggest mistake you do is do too much. Follow your doctor's advice. They know what to tell you. But um, my usual advice for patients is if you can imagine me saying, don't do it, don't do it. Don't crash the Ferrari. That's it, man. Just don't crash the Ferrari, please. Is there anything we can do to prevent sagging of the lower face? Time Aside machine? from like radio frequency. Yeah. Time no, radio frequency is the best. Yeah, in a time machine. Okay. I was hoping you were going to say salmon. Salmon. Ton salmon. of salmon. As much salmon as possible. <laughs> All the salmon in the world. And cookies. Uh, that was my next thing. Yeah. Uh, um, can a lip lift alter the look of nostrils? 
In the wrong patient, yes. If you've had multiple nasal procedures or in ethnic patients, it can, but very minimal when done inappropriately, it can significantly. So when done right with deep anchoring um, and deep dissection with minimal tension, at most, it may change it by a millimeter, but not anything that'll notice. The, the close analogy that I have is when you go home, you move your coffee table in your living room a foot forward. Nobody is going to notice, but you'll always notice a little bit. And so that can happen, particularly in patients who've had significant rhinoplasty. So multiple rhinoplasty patients, I always counsel them on that. Um, what's the downtime for a brow lift? Realistically, restaurant ready, 10 days. How many rhinoplasties performed would indicate expertise in a surgeon? Ooh, that's weird. Um, Cause you can qualify that in so many different ways. I mean, I think it's like anything else, you know, if you're doing, you know, over 50 a year, you know, your shit. Okay. And last question that I'll ask you, do Botox lip flips work when Botox under the nose? Yeah, super short term. It's a very low dose. I did it and it did not work, but I also had other issues going on. I had the longest filtrum. <laughs> the thing is, but the thing that people don't, it's not going to pick it up, right? right. It's actually going to make it longer. So the way that it relaxes the lip to flip it is it relaxes the muscle, which in turn makes the lip longer, the filtrum longer in order to get it to flip. So it's almost like you're cantilevering it downwards. So yes, you can get more surface area shown, but it may not give you the results you want because guess what? It's going to decrease the amount of tooth show you have when you talk and smile. It's going to make it funky when you eat or drink, like you won't be able to suck out of a straw for two weeks. And all it's doing is it's increasing the surface here. So when you add filler, it looks a little bit nicer. But when the filtrum's long in the wrong patient, it looks bad. But like one of my surgical techs, like I do a lip flip and filler on her all, like all the time. Amazing. Well, where can everybody find you and how can everybody skip the line so that they're not waiting until 2022 to get a consult with you? <laughs> So everyone can find me on Instagram, Dr. Mascaro, uh, D-R-M-A-S-C-A-R-O, like I'm Mascara, but with an O at the end, really easy. Um, also my online, my website, MiguelMascaroMD.com. Well, thank you so much. And I'll be seeing you in like four days. Actually, when this comes out, it will be, I will have seen you two days ago. So thank Crazy. you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. I'm always posting about each episode there or over on my personal page at Ariel Laurie. 